Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Tom George retires on September 1st. At that point, he will have spent 16 years guiding the University of Missouri-St. Louis as its chancellor. That makes him the longest-serving chancellor in the university's history. Joining me in studio to talk about the good, the bad, and the bittersweet is Chancellor Tom George. Were you or are you a student at UMSL? What was your experience? If you have a question or comment, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. And we do want to mention that the UM System Board of Curators owns the radio license of St. Louis Public Radio and that employees of the station are employees of UMSL. We are editorially independent of the university. <laughs> Chancellor George, getting that out of the way, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Sarah. It's great to be here. So I know that UMSL is part of the University of Missouri system, but when they say you're the chancellor, they basically mean that the buck stops with you for every single thing that happens at UMSL. Would you say that's right? Well, at UMSL, we are part of the system, so I'm not going to go way out on a limb and do something that the board of curators or the president of the system does not want. So we do touch base on a regular basis in, within the system. But we, you know, we're, we're fairly autonomous. And I mean, I tip my hat to the board and the president for giving us that autonomy. And in terms of the buck stopping with you, has that been something where some days you just want to hide your face and not have to be out on campus because something's gone wrong? Well, or? that's going to happen, of course. I mean, there are bush, you know, brush fires and things that happen. And, you know, we try to safeguard against that as much as possible, but it happens. And very often, of course, the radio station here is right in the middle of it, <laughs> you know, reporting all the sides of the, of the issues. Right. I mean, we are editorially independent. Abs- and, absolutely. Yeah, you guys yes. have, have dealt with that. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think a lot of our listeners probably don't have a really good sense of, of what a chancellor does. What is a typical day? What did a typical day look like for you in this job? Well, I mean, a, t- a typical day, you're, you're involved of, with things that go on on campus, uh, off campus. I mean, this morning I did an interview with KTRS for uh, cancer uh, patients, and uh, we, you know, we talked about that. And later on, I'll have different kinds of meetings on the campus, and I had this interview right here. So I'd say probably half to two-thirds of my time is spent off the campus off the campus, in the community, or on the road, or in the air, or somewhere like that, and then on the campus. What I try to make sure is that I have outstanding people that are in their positions on the campus, which we do have. And because of that, uh, things do function, and I don't have to be functioning on every minute detail. You're able to delegate to them. I guess that's the word, delegate, but you know, make sure that you're delegating to good people, which we have great people, just like we have here at the station. So for a public university, is a big part of the time you're spending outside the station, is that being the face of, of the university, or is that more direct fundraising, trying to make sure that there's that financial footing? Well, actually, it's all the above. I mean, a, a, a chancellor or a president president nowadays spends a huge amount of time trying to raise other dollars besides tuition dollars or dollars from state appropriations. And then, yes, the, the face of the university. I, I, in many cases, people will donate or embrace or give to the university based on the face of the university. So it's it's kind of like all of the above. Your background's in chemistry. I feel like people mm-hmm. don't always think of chemists as being great public speakers or people that just want to get their face out there. Was it an adjustment to have to transition from being a scientist to being a schmoozer? I, you know, probably not. Uh, you know, the way 
science research goes now, particularly at major research universities, you have to get grants and contracts. You've got to go to conferences, and uh, you've got to present your work. You've got to go to the funding agencies and make the sale. So a lot of what I was doing as a full-time faculty member, those same traits and skills got transferred immediately to being an administrator. I, I first was a dean, then a provost, and then this is my second chancellorship. I was in Wisconsin as a chancellor as well. So, you know, in, in a sense, the way big science operates now, uh, you know, a lot of the same skills are required. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, so looking at that and now that we've got this sense of, of what the chancellor does, what do you see as your biggest accomplishment during the 16 years you had there? Well, you know, we, we first of all, I, I helped ourselves on a financial footing. Uh, we were able to get from the state legislature what we call equity adjustments. And we got almost $9 million in our operating budget of equity adjustments. Tell me what that means. Well, that means that if you look at our funding per FTE relative to other institutions, we were below. Mm -hmm. And so we try to bring that more up into sync with the other public institutions in the state. FTE, so, full-time employees. Full-time employees. So that's what we mean by an equity. So we're more, we're more equitable, if you will, in the funding. We've done a lot of capital construction uh, over the last several years, about $150 million worth, a new optometry patient care center, a new business administration building, a new science complex, a new wellness recreation center, fixing up Natural Bridge Road, which cuts right through the center of campus. A lot of a lot of things. Uh, you know, I guess because we're young and squirrely, we were founded in 1963, which is when the system was founded. You know, we can do things perhaps a little more quickly than another campus can. We landed the headquarters of Express Scripts onto the campus. Yeah, and that's somewhat unusual to get such is, a big company. It is unusual. And I think being with our youth, we're able to turn quickly. I mean, when we're dealing with a company like Express Scripts, they do things instantaneously. At the university, we tend to digest it. We uh, turn it inside and out. And we well, let's say we did a lot faster digesting <laughs> when, on landing those headquarters. But that's an example of something we could do on the campus. And in terms of that Express Scripts deal, um, tell me why that's such a good thing to have on campus. Is it about the connections with the students there? Is there more to it? It's, you know, I... I couldn't have written a better script for it. I mean, I, I, the things that happened, I, I didn't, one not, could not have predicted. Certainly, we have internships. Open that up to the students, and then other universities I actually participate. Uh, course material, prioritized material gets give, gets to our people in computer science, and they can use that uh, and actually get contracted by Express Scripts. We have contingencies of professional MBA moving through their headquarters. We have their executives teaching on campus. Philanthropy. I mean, the list goes on, and they've also been great citizens in North County as well. So, uh, far more happened than I would have envisioned when we went into that you know, agreement, if you will. We're here with Tom George, who's the chancellor of the University of Missouri St. Louis. Tom, when you took this job 16 years ago, you'd lived in Philadelphia, New Haven, uh, Buffalo, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, Washington State. Were you prepared for St. Louis? Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I think I. I call myself, you, you earlier when you opened up the show, you talked about students. I mean, I, I really see myself as a student. And, you know, was I prepared for everything I'm going to encounter? No. I mean, that's, uh, and, and that's the joy of it. I mean, I've... You like the surprises. They'll like the surprises. And everything I've been involved in has been a learning experience. I mean, I'm on a lot of boards, uh, particularly nonprofit civic boards. I mean, right here in Grand Center, I serve on the Grand Center board. And you know, every board that I'm on, I mean, I learned so much. And so for me, it's been an educational experience. 
now I have to, I can't just be a 100% student. You have to be sure. a doer. But, you know, I, I, when I learned as a student, then we learned to turn that around into action. So, you know, was I prepared for everything that I encountered in St. Louis? No. Am I happy I took the position? Absolutely. It was, it was a delight. What was the biggest surprise in terms of what you encountered here? Well, I guess maybe for for me was how giving and caring the St. Louis community is. That's a for, really I mean, positive surprise right a, there. It's a positive surprise. I was not – I mean, I, I, I immediately went on to the United Way board. I had shared the United Way campaign at the county in Wisconsin, so I was, you know, wedded to that. But I just – I was blown away by the level – and the commitment that we had to unite away here in the St. Louis community. And that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly our own university, you know, we completed a $150 million campaign and could not have been, have been done with all the caring and all the giving that's done, done from the St. Louis community. People will say about St. Louis as well that it can be kind of an insular town. People want to know where you went to high school and where you went to high school didn't resonate with them. Was it hard to find your footing in, in that sense? I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I know it is kind of amusing. You could be a Rhodes Scholar and if you didn't go to high school here, then maybe it doesn't really count. Uh, right. Uh, I, actually, I, I was kind of amused by it. And, uh, and when someone would ask me, I'd always tell them, Boom. Well, it, it turned out to be a Quaker school in Philadelphia, and I get a blank stare. But, <laughs> that just, know, stopped but, uh, just stopped them in their tracks. stopped them in their tracks, yeah. But from there, you felt like you were able to, to go on and, and make some connections Absolutely. with people? Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, and again, as I said before, I, I was, you know, delightfully surprised at how giving and open the community is. So, yes, uh, a lot of us at UMSL did not go to high school. In fact, if you go into the academic world, most of your hires on the faculty are from outside. They're yeah. not from inside. So almost by definition, uh, they have not gone to high school in St. Louis. You may be in a population where there's a lot more transplants in it. A lot more. But do you think more. St. Louis then gets a bum rap for people saying that we're too hung up on that question? Nah, it's fun. Yeah. I, I view it as fun, and it's, it's, it's kind of amusing. Yeah. Well, you're also a jazz pianist, and you've been a frequent presence uh, performing at campus and community events. We've actually got a clip of your jam session with Ron Edwards. He was UMSL's coordinator oh. for audiovisual services. Services. In fact, he has a show on KDHX, I think, right Oh, now. does he really? Yeah, so he's, a blues show, yes. Yeah, he's a guy who knows his stuff. Yeah, he knows his stuff. Well, now that you've sort of raised our expectations here, mm-hmm. um, let's give that a listen. was Tom George, Chancellor of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, on the keys. Um, he's also here with us in studio. The tune we're doing go, it takes, takes you back to the 50s. It's called Green Onions, uh, re, you know, performed by Booker T. So those of you that are my age and my vintage, that's, you'll recognize that. That's great. Um, I think we're ready to hire you here as a DJ. <laughs> you know your stuff. <laughs> what role does music play in your life? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, just a release, if you will. I'm not a professional musician, uh, although I've played many gigs. When I was a faculty member back at the University of Rochester, um, and I would play three, four nights a week doing gigs in restaurants, bars, and other kinds of places. But, you know, with me, it's a, pa- it's a pastime. It's a hobby. And, but it's opened up doors. I mean, that's amazing, uh, you know, for gaining more friends at the university. And often I get used for my jazz playing for 
you know, philanthropic efforts. And it's, it's People need of, a random pianist and, yeah, and that kind of, Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you're also, I think one of the more interesting things about you is you're not just a cat person. You are really a cat person. Uh, we've got four cats. That seems like a four lot of cats. cats. Yeah, people. Uh, yeah, one they ask me to go to high school. Often uh, I get asked uh, about my kids. And uh, my wife, Barbara Harbuck, and I do not have kids. Uh, but we do have four cats. Are the cats <laughs> so, your kids? In a, the cats a way of are the speaking? kids. The cats are the kids. Uh, just as well as all the students on campus are our kids. Yeah, you've got thousands of kids, yeah, right? E- even though there's some students that are older than I am, but we have many, many kids. <laughs> <laughs> that was UMSL Chancellor Tom George. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We're talking with UMSL Chancellor Tom George. If you've got a question or comment for Chancellor George, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at stlpublicradio.org. Chancellor George, the average cost of tuition and room and board for one year at a four-year public institution in 2017 was $19,488. Back when you started as an undergrad, way back in the 60s, it was more like $1,000. Why have we seen such huge increases in this field? Well, there's first of all, there's inflation. Uh, And inflation happens. But also with a public institution... Uh, and it's it's much more exorbitant in a private. But, it's absolutely uh, oh, it's, it's out so of much sight. higher. <laughs> but you know, for a public institution, we've just seen a decline in state support. Uh, and you know, I use the word FTE again, full time equivalent. But mm-hmm. you know, per individual, uh, when we have less state support, we have to find the resources elsewhere. One source is tuition. That's not the only source, and that's why we have philanthropy and we try to raise scholarship dollars, and we're aggressively doing that. But as the state support goes down, I mean, you look at our own university. We used to get over two-thirds of our operating budget from the state. Now we're less than 30 percent from mm-hmm. the state, and it can, is continuing to go down. So that's one of the reasons for that, as well as inflation itself. And, you know, things just become more expensive. I mean, to you know, I look at myself as a scientist, and to give the proper instruction of the latest equipment, these are expensive things that you have to purchase to equip the laboratories for the students. So just the costs have gone up. You also see critics of higher education say that universities are giving kids almost a country club-like atmosphere, which I, it's kind of ironic in the case of UMSL since yeah. you're on a former country club oh. plot of land. <laughs> but, you know, they want a really nice gym and they want fancy things to eat at the cafeteria. They don't just want slop like people had in the 60s. Do you feel like universities have to throw so much money into some of these intangibles just to even get students to come? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I understand what the students want more amenities. But they also pay for it. I'll give you a great example. Our new wellness recreation center, it's the state of the art. It's fantastic. It's paid for by student fees. Mm. So while you come on the campus and you see this and you might say, well, that's so exorbitant, the students themselves are paying for it. They voted for it. They did a referendum and they voted to increase their fees. So when you see all these fancy digs, if you will, 
Uh, yes, it is fancy, but in many cases, the students themselves are paying for that. And you're largely a commuter school, and you've got mm-hmm. a lot of students who are out there hustling. They're paying their own way to be there. They they still chose that they wanted the nicer gym. Uh, that's correct. And, you know, about three-quarters of our students, oh, even more, are commuters. Uh, and and now we, we have about 13, 1,400 beds on campus, and then are in the, in the area around the university, maybe another 1,000. So... You and know, that's maybe like one-tenth of the student yes, body? Yes. Uh, yeah, the actual degree-seeking students were about eleven to 12,000. We have another 6,000 students that are in the high schools taking our courses. So when you see our enrollment of 17,000, 6,000 of that is advanced credit students. Okay. But, uh, you know, uh, with, with, with the, all the commuters, you know, we try to provide for them as much amenities as we do other students as well. And maybe get them to stay for a while at the gym we, while they're on campus. You, you, exactly, yes. I mean, now in many cases, our commuter students are working part-time, full-time jobs. They might be raising families. I mean, there's, there's a, it's all over the map, the kinds of students we have. But yes, I mean, it, you know, get them using some of the amenities that are on the campus. Is it hard to, to get them to connect with each other and to sort of feel that sense of loyalty that those of us who went to very small liberal arts colleges, it maybe comes a lot more naturally? Yes, I mean, that's, and we, and we work on that. I mean, we have uh, organizations on campus that work on that. Uh, I would say probably but if you're a commuter, you've got as much, if not more, loyalty to your department hmm. as to the university. You come in, you're taking your classes, you're focused, particularly when you get into the upper division and you're in your major, that's particularly where you identify the most with. Okay. Going back to the cost of education, the student debt issue is a huge issue. On a broad scale, do you think we need to re-envision how we pay for higher education? Well, I think so, and I certainly would like to see more state and federal support. I mean, Pell Grants are critical to our student body. And, uh, you know, more scholarship support. So, yes, I mean, I would like to see uh, maybe as a policy issue that both at the state level and the federal level that we do have, have a more, a greater investment in higher education. I mean, I think most studies will show you that a more educated populace is going to lead to better situations, better economic development, better social well-being, no question about that. We're talking here with Tom George, the uh, chancellor at University of Missouri-St. Louis, at least until September 1st. Um, and we've actually got a caller on the line who I think um, wants to talk about this subject that we just happened to be on. Um, Dan, uh, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hey, um, yeah, I was a, I'm a graduate of the nursing school, and uh, or the College of Nursing, and when I was there, they increased our fees by, God, like 40%. Um, and I know it had to do with uh, Senate Bill 22 um, and lack of state funding. What do you see for the future of, uh, of getting the state to give us more money so you're less reliant on charging the students more? Well, I'm ever hopeful, Dan, and I th- I'm glad you brought that up. Now, nursing, it's a, it's a stellar program on campus. We, uh, we actually have long waiting lists to get into that. So the fact that you got in and graduated is a feather in your cap. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, well, part of it is for accreditation, there's only, you have to have so many instructors per students and so forth. We are in a major campaign for nursing right now to get uh, a more up-to-date sim lab, more equipment that we can provide to the students. And so if we can get that through private dollars, that's less dollars that we have to charge the students. So we're working on that. And uh, Dan, uh, the Senate Bill 22, um, t- tell us what this is about. Well, that was legislation that the Missouri legislature passed. I'm not, I don't remember which governor signed it, but it limits um, state 
colleges from raising their tuition by, I think it's 1% a year, something crazy yeah, they that, lose. It, it's had different numbers, 389, and you know the numbers have been changing. But what the bill is, is it does it fixes at CPI. So you What's cannot CPI, sorry. Oh, consumer price index. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you cannot you cannot raise your tuition dollars for undergraduates in state. Now, graduate or uh, out of state you can do that, but for the bu- and the bulk of our students are are in state undergraduates. Uh, I would like to see maybe some relaxation of that at some stage and you know just I all I can say Dan is stay tuned and hopefully we can get that relaxed but having said that it contains the cost for students but then with certain disciplines like nursing uh, which are very expensive uh, then we have to insert fees and it's it's too bad we have to do that but we have to Dan, thank you so much for your call. Um, talking about the difference between disciplines here for a minute, I know that um, UMSL did have to deal with some layoffs and some cost-cutting measures while you've been there. And some of the departments that ended up being hit really hard were things in the performing arts. Dance mm-hmm. took a big hit. Um, and at the same time, we see more money going into the business college. Should we be worried about the decline of the liberal arts and the decline of the arts when colleges want to go into things that make money? Um, yes. <laughs> I, I guess I'll have to, I'll have to I, I agree. I was hoping with, you'd tell me not to no, worry here. No, I have to agree. We should be concerned. Uh, you know, having what, you know, cutting back on, let's say, theater, dance, and, and areas like that, I call it hopefully a temporary cutback, and you can restore them. In most cases, we did not eliminate, we just simply stopped something that gives us a stopping point and we can bring things back. And there's a high value to the performing arts and to theater and dance, absolutely. And when and you say stopped, you mean stopped increasing well, we, it, we, or we, you we mean took, we, we paused did, it? We did brought no more students into it, and we're finishing up the, the students we have, but we did okay. not actually eliminate the program off the books. It okay. just simply is not functioning. It's a hiatus. But, so why would a dance student going forward say, you know what, I think I want to go to UMSL. And they, then, they yeah. probably at this juncture would not. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, and you know, I, I pick up the chronic or higher education. Often the programs you see that are being stopped or eliminated are these programs. I mean, it's yeah. it's too bad in a way, but that's, you know, that's, that's the, you know, it's it's what happens when, when funding gets reduced. I mean, uh, You've right. got to go where the dollars are. You've got to go where the dollars are, yes. Do you feel like that was overall the point of a lot of the restructuring that, that you ended up having to do in these recent years? We did restructuring, but, you know, it wasn't dramatic restructuring. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what happens when you do eliminate or reduce a program, it gets a lot of visibility. But it's, it's amazing how many programs we were able to keep or to re- reorganize to keep a program going that – uh, we couldn't under one structure. We could do it under a new structure. I mean, we have a ma- we have a master's in public policy administration, which was a standalone to give it strength and give it you know more sure footing. We moved it into the Department of Political Science. So these are examples of things that we did mm-hmm. uh, in that restructuring. So the restructuring, in many cases, was not elimination. It was perhaps just being more efficient. And do you feel like now the university is on a, a really good footing? Yes, we are. We absolutely are. And uh, we, we'd like to increase enrollment by about probably 1,000 students, so we're working on that. What do you think doing, it's going to take to do that? Well, more marketing, uh, probably reaching a bit more out of the area of St. Louis, uh, looking at pockets where the disciplines are hot. I mean, we've added a new discipline of cybersecurity, and a lot of campuses are doing this. We're not alone in that. But looking at certain areas that, uh, that are appealing to people and where more students want to go into. Okay. 
Let's talk for a minute about Ferguson because that happened almost in your backyard and mm-hmm. it was one of the nationally prominent things that, that happened during your tenure. On August 15th, it was just a few days after um, everything broke out in Ferguson. You released a statement saying, we will learn from the situation in Ferguson. We will emerge as a better university. We will emerge as a better community. Do you think that happened? Absolutely. And how? And, uh, in what ways? Well, within our own campus, when, when Ferguson erupted, we saw it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we have entities within the university, our department or a college of education, uh, our Center for Trauma Recovery, uh, we have uh, psychological counseling services. We have the Missouri Institute of Mental Health. I mean, the list goes on. We went into the Ferguson community, engaged with people. Our students got involved and got engaged. And we had some protests, not many on the campus, mm-hmm. but when we would have them, we'd all go in it together. It wasn't like there was a surprise, but rather the protesters would work with us. We worked with all the police departments in the area as well as Ferguson. Uh, we worked with Express Scripts, uh, you know, which obviously was was very concerned about, you know, processing of pharmaceuticals and making sure that people can get their pharmaceuticals properly. Uh, so if for us, it was an opportunity. And, you know, by all the measures that I can look at, I think we were all successful together. And in December of 2014, you sent a note to all university employees suggesting that Ferguson was linked to a hiring freeze on campus. The letter said the freeze could be traced back to, quote, a widespread anxiety about the region in general and North County in particular, causing, quote, lower than expected enrollment. In retrospect, looking back on that, do you think that was a fair assessment? Yeah, I think it was. Um, People just didn't want to come to North County? but it it wasn't dramatically lower. Mm -hmm. I mean, we we had, for example, before the eruption of Ferguson, we had... um, an increase in the student body of about 5%. Uh, when we went through a few months after that, we still had an increase, but it was mm-hmm. only 1%. Okay. So it's not like we had it, it was dramatic, but enough that we had to cut back. Uh, it, it was the responsible thing to do. And so, and when I say hiring freeze, it really what I should have said it was uh, a hiring inspection. I mean, we had a committee that would look at all the proposed hiring, so we still were hiring. Mm-hmm. So maybe the freeze was perhaps too strong a term, but I had we had to get people's attention mm-hmm. that it wasn't business as usual. Okay. It, it feels like UMSL is a uniquely urban institution in many ways in terms of the student body that you attract, and yet unlike SLU, you're not really in the heart of the city. Is that kind of a strange dichotomy that? Yeah, that's well. That is interesting. Yeah, we are we are called an urban institution, and because of that, some people think we're not a safe institution. We're very safe. I was going to say, if you ever oh, go out there, you can oh, you can hear the crickets chirping. We're, we're very safe, and I go through all the crime reports every you know they come by, and it's 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 really milk toast. I mean, someone left their wallet that. somewhere. I mean, so yeah, we we have a few things here and there, but we're a very safe campus. We. We are located in an interesting place where the nexus of basically 270, 170, and 70, all the 70s, and 370 is not too far away. And you know, we have several metro stops on campus. You can get right down to the Cards game, or you can go to the Del Mar Loop or the Central West End, uh, or even over to Illinois if you want to do that. Uh, uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a really neat location where we're at. And then, then, of course, we have Express Scripts on the campus, North Park, which is a growing park right near between us and the airport. And then the airport, you can take the metro to the airport. It's uh, just five minutes away. It's a, it's a good, it's convenient in many ways to a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. But then it's also, again, it is a little bit away from the heart of the city. Do you feel like you're able to do enough to connect to the population that, that could be the perfect students to go there? Yeah, we do. And we, we recruit a lot from the city. And, 
you know, our, I mentioned our College of Education earlier. We've got about six or 700 students that are student teaching in the St. Louis public schools. Oh, wow. And so we're quite connected uh, with the city. And then, of course, as we speak, we're sitting right here in the studios of uh, KWMU St. Louis Public Radio, which is in the city. We're in Grand Center. <laughs> right That's it's right. in the city. <laughs> um, you've been the president of the Coalition of Urban and Metropolitan Universities. I believe you're currently the president emeritus of that? Or I, I did a two-year stint. Uh, it's an organization of about 100 universities across the country which have the common – they're all urban – and uh, not all publics. A lot of them are publics, but uh, all urban. And yeah, I did that uh, for two years, and we we developed what's called the anchor mission concept. And uh, that's the, you know developing what your role as a campus is in your greater community as an anchor. And you know you can probably say that we're in a sense an anchor in North County. Uh, we we have influence, of course, across the whole region, but particularly North County. So that was un- under my. Uh, responsibilities as president. That was one of the efforts that I helped spearhead with. What do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing the schools who are in that situation? Well, part part of it is how we can message ourselves better than we're doing. Mm -hmm. I think it it always, you know, it comes back down to communications, marketing, and so forth. And we we have such a great product. We have, have, uh, and the institution, not just UMSL, all the institutions we have here, in Greater St. Louis are, are, are outstanding. We, we've got to get that message across even better and, and market ourselves and communicate the value of the institutions. What do you think, thinking about all the students you've dealt with over the years, what do you think sets UMSL students apart from other great institutions in this town? Well, I'm okay. Since you've asked me, and I'll brag a little about our institution. As I'm going to twist I, your arm. But as I've said, you know, we, we have great institutions in the region. But, you know, our, our student has a great work ethic. Uh, I mean, when they come out, they hit the ground running. And when I talk to industries that hire them, like Boeing or Emerson, Express Scripts, Enterprise, uh, the list goes on, they say the one thing about an UMSL student is they come out with a work ethic and they're dedicated and they're very well prepared. So, I mean, again, um, nothing against other institutions that are great institutions, but that's, that's one trait for sure of our students. Kristen Sobolik, who is UMSL's provost, she's set to carry on in the coming months after you peace out. Uh, Why do you think she's the right choice for this role at this time? Well, Kristen's been with us a bit over two years, done an outstanding job. She comes from public education. She was a dean at Wright State University before that, and she was a department chair at University of Maine. And she she hit the ground running when she came, and she's continued to excel. It just seemed to to me the natural choice. You know, when I hired her as provost, I, was, I had in my mind succession planning. I mean, we all do that. And, uh, and she's just the illogical, perfect choice to do that. So we got a tweet from our listener, James Cooper, and he says, they should just keep Sobolik permanently. From what I read, she has a great resume, and it'd be nice for the school to be fronted by a woman. Do you think odds are that she will get this job permanently? Well, I mean, I think she's an outstanding candidate for the position. You'd have to speak to my boss, President Moon Choi, typically what the academy does, typically what they do is they run searches. Uh, and for, for whatever reasons, they run searches and uh, because a lot of people like to give their input in terms of, you know, who's going to be the next permanent whatever. So We've just got about a minute left here. Um, I know you told the Post-Dispatch that you looked forward to stumbling into things in your retirement. You said, that's the way I usually end up doing things. I got to say, I mean, you were an Eagle Scout when you were 14. You don't strike me as a guy that stumbles into <laughs> stuff. You're an overachiever here. How are you going to handle retirement? I, You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, the one thing I've, I've had advice from a lot of people, particularly those that have retired, and uh, what, what they've said is, 
back off just a bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, allow yourself to become totally bored and then come back on and bring it back on. And so, you know, that's probably what I'll do is maybe I've been going 24-7 for decades. And so just take a little breather of not doing 24-7. And do you think you'll take that little breather here in St. Louis? Your wife well, is also retiring. We're, we, we've, our options are open. Our options are open. And, and she, yes, I, I should say uh, that that's probably what nudged me to do it. I mean, she announced first that she's retiring. She's the director of the School of Fine and Performing Arts and was chair of the music department. And uh, you know, we got talking about it after she announced, and so that's probably what nudged me over. So she's the boss. Yeah, she's the boss, right. <laughs> As we end our conversation today, I want to go out with a little bit more of your piano performance. Chancellor Tom George, thank you so much for being here. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.